Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Saturday, October 21st. Great show, guys. Got Bob Kemp on from Arizona. Going to talk to him. Talk to him all about the Diamondbacks. Uh, Going to talk about the ALCS, NLCS more on uh, Tuesday's show. Kind of wrap up the ALCS, NLCS. They might be wrapped up by then. So not really going to talk about a whole lot today. Going to get into all things Diamondbacks, though, with Bob coming up. We're going to dive right in, guys, to Thursday Night Football recap. Are the Saints in trouble? Uh, Only one win in their last five games. Three wins on the season, but against really bad teams. Really bad loss last night. Trevor Lawrence's first win in the Superdome. He, you know, obviously had two really tough losses in his college career in the Superdome, and then had a preseason loss as well, and never actually won in in New Orleans in that Superdome. So, finally gets the win. Was the leading rusher for the Saint or for the Jaguars last night too? Despite his injury, was the leading rusher and actually was the second leading rusher in the entire game, uh, only behind I think it was Kamara. I think so. What do you guys think on this game? Um, what do you guys think on just the Saints in general? Like what they have to do going forward? You know, kind of make some changes here, blow up the team, or what does the outlook do you guys think of the Saints going forward? Very telling for the Saints. Derek Carr is banged up in after this game and. It does not look good at all. The Saints, only three wins. Carolina was one of their wins, as well as Tennessee and New England. But uh, this is not a good win, not a good game for the Saints. And Derek Carr, obviously being banged up, as I just said. Uh, but Moreau dropped that, dropped that pass in the end zone. That could have been a touchdown. That could have tied the game. And for the Saints... They still could win that division because that division's kind of, you know, going back to what it was last year with the way the Falcons have been playing. The Falcons have been playing okay. Same with the Bucks, but I don't know if the but I think the Saints are in trouble here. Yeah, I think the Saints are in trouble because Derek Carr was supposed to be the guy that came in and took that team over the top. But I think the fact that they're having him throw fifty five times is too much. I don't think Dennis Allen's a particularly great coach. But I'm going to go in the other side, and I'm going to say this is a big win for the Jaguars. Travis, <clears throat> excuse me, Travis Etienne, 53 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence was in control. <clears throat> you know, we didn't know if he was going to play this week because he had that quad injury last week. A lot of people would have sat him because they only play one more game in the next 23 days. They chose to play him, and he was pretty good. You know, 204 yards, ran for 59 yards, didn't look like that quad bothered him too much. The touchdown to Christian Kirk. Jaguars have now turned it around. We talked about the Saints going downward. The Jags are going up. They've won their last four games. They're definitely the best team in the AFC South, and I think they're ready to contend in the AFC and be one of those teams that has an opportunity to make a run in the playoffs. Lawrence said he wanted to play in this game, again, just because, I mean, his last year of his career was that loss, I think, to what, Ohio State, right, in the playoffs, I think it was, when he was at, when he was at Clemson, and then... Yeah, they, yeah, he lost to LSU in the national title game in 2019, and then Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. Yep. Yeah, no. So, and then obviously he had a preseason loss there. Never won in the Super Superdome, so I know he wanted to come out and, and really play this game. Uh, Travis Etienne, three games now with two touchdowns. Uh, that's the most in franchise history. I don't actually know. What, I mean, that has to be up there in the NFL, too. I mean, that's just absolutely amazing. He's the big reason why the uh, Jaguars are playing so well. I never really thought the Saints were going to be that good this year. I know a lot of people were high on the Saints. I never really was high on the Saints going into the year. I know I said that. A lot of people looked at me with, like, two heads. But I think, um, I think Derek Carr... I, don't, I didn't think he was going to 
you know, come in and just automatically fix the team. I did think that the Saints were going to have some problems. I think the Saints are still a long way away to, you know, getting to that point they want to be at again, you know, back when Drew Brees was there. Yeah, I do think uh, Saints are in a pretty tough place here, and they, they have to do something different going down the stretch to, to make the fans happy. Week seven preview, guys, coming up here in the NFL. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your closest game of the of the week? Uh, my closest game of the week is going to be the Lions at the Ravens. I think this has a chance to be the best game of the week. The Lions, this is the deepest they've had the best record in the NFL since 1993. They've got the number one run defense in the NFL, and this is a good time to show it because they're playing the Ravens, who obviously are a run-dominant team. I want to see what Lamar Jackson can do throwing the football in this game, but Again, we've t- talked about the Lions, and do we really believe in them? Well, they won on the road at Kansas City. They dominated at Tampa last week. Now let's see if they can win on the road at Baltimore. And if they're able to do that, then I think we got to stop questioning the Lions at this point and start wondering if they're good enough to win the NFC and good enough by extension to win the Super Bowl. But for the Ravens, you know, they've lost a couple games they shouldn't against the Steelers and the Colts, but they've been pretty consistent the rest of the season otherwise. I think this is going to be a statement game for both of these teams. I think this is a chance to be a real barn burner, probably a lower scoring kind of game, but I think it's going to be a really close game. Yeah, that's actually my closest game of the week too. Uh, Ravens have won the last five of the last six meetings against the Lions. Like you said, Zach, both teams are actually usually a run now mentality, but over the last like couple of games, especially last week, they haven't been doing that really. I mean, Goff last week over 350 yards in on, in the air. Uh, to, you know, had two touchdowns for himself too. Uh, Ravens, though, like you said, only giving up just 260.8 yards per game. That's the second best mark in the NFL. Do you think the Ravens are getting kind of um, not as much recognition as they should be? I mean, obviously, it's the Ravens. They're always going to get recognition, especially being in the AFC North there. But what do you guys think? I mean, the Ravens are definitely a sneaky team. I mean, I don't think people have been talking about Lamar Jackson as much as they should be this year. He's thrown for 200 more, 200 or more yards in four of his last five games. He's averaging uh, 5.4 yards per carry with four rushing touchdowns. I mean, he's getting it done both in the air and on the ground. I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Do you think Lamar Jackson's flying under the radar here a little bit? A bit, but I don't think it's too much under the radar. I think people recognize how good Lamar is, and as far as the Ravens are concerned, it's kind of difficult when you lose to an offensively challenged Steelers team and you lose to the Colts. So I think there's a healthy skepticism with this team because, mm-hmm. I mean, who have they realistically beaten to this point that makes you say that's a Super Bowl team? And we all know about their passing game struggles. Yes, they've gotten better with Zay Flowers, but until I see it consistently throughout the year, I'm not totally bought in on the Ravens passing game. Yeah, I'm not either. I Lamar Jackson's got, got some work to do. He's got a lot to improve on with the passing game. I mean, he's got weapons now. He's got weapons now, and now he's got to now he's got to show up. What do you think about this game, though? Do you think it's going to be a pretty pass-heavy game, or it's going to be one on the ground? I mean, last year or last week against the Bucks, Lions only totaled forty yards on the ground. Especially if David Montgomery doesn't play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so what do you think? I mean, Lions are also kind of like a team like the Ravens, where they their identity a lot is on the ground and you know running the ball, but that hasn't really been the case the last couple of games, especially last week. So. I mean, what do you guys, how do you think this game is going to ultimately be won? One, do you think it's going to be done on the ground or do you think it's going to be done, you know, over the air? I, I think it's going to be a ground game. I think it's going to be a very physical game on both both the line of scrimmage, both the offensive line and the defensive line. Detroit has the seventh-ranked defense. Baltimore has the second-ranked defense in the NFL. These are two top-ten defenses. I think this is going to be a very lower-scoring game. I can see... 20 to 17, 
probably 17, 14, maybe even, you know, 20 to 20 to 14. This is going to be a very close, low scoring game. I also have it as my closest game of the week. Okay. Well, yeah. Do you want to talk any more? I mean, let's get to you then, Justin. Any any more you want to talk about it then? Anything else you want to really add about this game? Besides what you already just said, obviously. Not really, but I think this is going to be, once again, I think it's going to be a defensive slugfest. Very close, low-scoring game. Only other talking point about this game, uh, Jameer Gibbs should be returning for the Lions, so that's going to help, obviously, um, on the on the run game as well. So let's move on, guys. Most intriguing storyline. Zach, what is your most intriguing storyline this week? I think this is the week we find out how real the Miami Dolphins are. They're 5-1, and one, but the teams they've beaten to this point have a combined record of 5-24, and 24, so they're putting up a lot of great stats against bad teams. Well, they're playing a really good team this week in the Philadelphia Eagles, the defending NFC champs, and they're coming off a loss against the Jets last week. They really need to get back on track. And Jalen Hurts, I would be surprised if he doesn't come out and have a big game. I think the Eagles' pass rush is going to be a, a big factor. <clears throat> but... I look at the Dolphins. I look at Tua, of course. Tua, Jalen Hurts. We all know about that storyline. And you look at the Dolphins with the the rest of their offense with Tyreek Hill going up against that secondary with Darius Slick. I think that's the most intriguing storyline. Can the Eagles bounce back? And are the Dolphins for real? Yeah, I mean, again, two for two. That's my most intriguing storyline, too. Um, Miami's defense – I mean, Miami's offense, I mean, leads the NFL in both rushing and passing. Uh, the Eagles rank second in the NFL against the run, though. Uh, you know, like you said, Zach, defensive line, amazing. Pass rush, amazing. So uh, I can easily see the total passing attempts in this game, you know, at least over 80, you know, between between Hurts and Tua. This, I mean, this is going to be this. We talked about last game with the, you know, with the Lions and the Ravens, you know, if it's going to be one on the ground or if it's going to be one in the air. But I think this game is going to absolutely be one in the air. Uh, the Dolphins aren't going to want to run the ball. Because the yeah you know, the Eagles just shut that down too much. They can they have so many weapons to pass to in the air. So why would they even have to do that? And you know Hertz is gonna I think come back as well. Brian Johnson, Justin, you mentioned it last week. I mean he's he played he had terrible play calls uh, with the Eagles. Their offense was terrible last week, and ultimately that loss against the Jets. All eyes are gonna be on him. The plays he's calling, I think he's gonna want to you know bring out all the stops and really um, you know give Hertz a good game here. Uh, call the best plays for Hurts, and it's going to be – this game is going to be so fun to watch. I mean, Justin, what is your most intriguing storyline? Same thing? Same thing. <laughs> can okay. the Eagles bounce back? And can the Dolphins – if we're going to find out a lot about this game, this is going to be a very telling game. Are the Dolphins for real at 5-1? and one, And can the Eagles bounce back? I'm, I mean, the Eagles, they do have some defensive injuries this week. I mean, last week they did. But this is a very concerning game. I would say I'm, I'm pretty concerned about this game. Can the Eagles, they, they, can they flush that game against the Jets? Basically a terrible offensive game for Jalen Hurts, especially for Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni. This is going to be the game that really tells us that really tells us what the Eagles are. Are they a real 5-0 and team, 5-1 and yeah. team to start off the season? And the same thing with the Miami Dolphins. This is going to be a very this, – this could be a very high-scoring game. This could be the shootout of the week here in Philly on Sunday Night Football. It's going to be an interesting game. 
Xavier Howard returning for the Dolphins too on that secondary, so that's going to be something to look out for as well. He's going to he's going to cause some problems for the Eagles too, make it a little bit harder to throw the ball. And another thing about this game too, yeah, I was a little bit concerned about the Eagles after the Jet game. I was, and I still am, pretty concerned yeah. about the coaching staff. So we're going to see how this how the coaching staff responds. I mean, this is going to be the most adversity that the Eagles have faced. And also, they have not lost two straight games in a row since 2021 with Nick Sirianni in his first year. So is that who you're going to pick to win, Eagles? I think it's going to – I wouldn't – I think the Eagles win. It's a tough call. It's a tough call. All right. Surprise of the week. Uh, Zach, what's your surprise of the week? Uh, Surprise of the week. Let's see here. Not a whole lot of options to pick from from surprises, but I'm going to take the Colts over the Browns because the Browns are one of those teams that just week after week, you don't know what you're getting out of them. And I think this week, P.J. Walker, Deshaun Watson, whoever plays, they're going up against an improved Colts defense. I think Indianapolis will be able to run the ball against that Browns defense and maybe coming off the high of the 49er win a week ago. Now you have to go to Indianapolis, maybe a bit of a letdown. And Gardner Minshew is an experienced enough quarterback that I think he can handle the challenge. So I'm going to take the Colts. Not a homer pick, but I'm going to take the Colts as an upset over the Browns. My surprise of the week, Giants over Commanders. I say this a lot with this surprise of the week. I don't know how much of a surprise this really is. Commanders are so inconsistent. They're the most inconsistent team in the entire league. They did get Bills a run for the – or, yeah, the Giants gave Bills a run for the money, though. And I think, you know, the Commanders are definitely a better team. But uh, Giants, like I said, played really, really well against the Bills last week. Tyrod Taylor, I think, surprised a lot of people against a top defense in the Bills. Uh, threw for over 200 yards against the Bills. Uh Really good for a backup, like I said, against a really, really good defense in the Bills. Couldn't defeat the Bills, but um, that's just because they failed to convert on, you know, in the red zone. I mean, they got the, they got to the red zone. Tyrod Taylor got them to the red zone, but, you know, they just weren't able to get past that line. Didn't throw any interceptions, though, and he, you know, averaged 5.6 yards per pass attempt. Giants defense also played really, really well uh, in the loss to the, to, the, uh, to the Bills despite the loss. Uh Giants pass defense allowed a completion rate of only 63.3%. Um, and, yeah, the finish, they finished the game with a total of 317 yards while running 73 plays. So I think the commanders are going to under, underestimate the Giants. They're going to look at this as a, as a clear, easy win. And uh, I think, you know, Sam Howell is also pretty inconsistent as a quarterback. He looks pretty good recently, but um, he looks good in one game and terrible in another. And, I you know, I don't think he's going to – you know, I, I think he's going to play well, but I do think the Giants have a potential to take over the Commanders this this uh, this weekend. Uh, Justin, what is your surprise of the week? Surprise of the week? I'm going to go with the Giants as well. This is a divisional game. The Commanders are, as you said, a very inconsistent team. And I think the Giants are going to get a win this week. I think the Commanders just, it's a divisional game, as I said, and the Giants have had the Commanders number throughout the past few years and I could see the I could see a pretty low scoring game here. I think the Giants might win this on a late field goal. Yeah, it's going to be a close one. Talk about close games of the week. Zach, what is your shootout of the week? Uh, my shootout of the week, I'm going to go with the Chargers and the Chiefs. I feel like every time Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes meet up, it's always a close game that ends up 30 to 27 or 31 24 
I think you've got two offenses that are ready to go. The Chiefs have had more than a more than a essentially a bye week. They've had 11 days since the Bronco game. I think those guys are going to be healthy and ready to go. Travis Kelsey's had a chance to rest up. I think they he's going to have a big game as he always seems to do against the Chargers. The last two times they played in Los Angeles, he had three touchdown receptions. This game's in Kansas City, but I think he's going to have another big game. I look for Kadarius Tony, Rasheed Rice. I think those guys are going to play well. You look at the Chargers coming off the Monday night loss. Keenan Allen has typically done well against that Chiefs secondary. So I think this is going to be a back and forth entertaining game. I think the Chiefs are going to win. I think they're clearly the better team, but I think this is going to be a shootout. Yeah, we're on sync today. That's also my shootout of the week. Uh, Herbert loves Arrowhead. Uh, he's 2-1 and one at Arrowhead since he was drafted by the Chargers. Over the last three seasons, Herbert is 81 for 117 for 100, 907 yards with 10 touchdowns and just one interception at Arrowhead. He loves playing there. He's going he's gonna to play really, really well. Obviously, it's the Chiefs, though. Uh, according to you know, Pro Football Network, Chiefs ranked fourth in the NFL in total offensive ranking. That's not really a surprise. Chiefs are obviously one of the best offensive teams in the league. Chargers need to bounce back. They played obviously really bad last weekend. They need a bounce back win. This game is going to be a, a massive, massive shootout. No, we did not compare notes beforehand, just for the no. viewing public. We did not compare notes. <laughs> uh-uh. No, we did not. Um, Justin, is this your shootout too, potentially? I would say I would go back to the Eagles and Dolphins. I think this is gonna I think that is going to be the shootout of the week. I think we're gonna have two high scoring offenses here. The Eagles offense should be able to get it together this week. Hopefully put up thirty plus points, hopefully win the game. The Dolphins as well. I think this is gonna be probably the this will be the easily the game of the week. I think Chargers Chiefs has that potential, but it's going to be the Eagles and Dolphins. That's why it's the Sunday night game. And yeah. they got the re- they got it right this week with the Sunday night pick. They did. Yes, they did. Next week, not so much. Not, not that they would have flexed this, but they, they can flex now, right? After week yes. five, I think it is. Oh, Bears and Chargers are the next next week Sunday night game. Flex that. <laughs> what? Well, what a- yeah, can it be uh, for the love of all things holy? Why isn't it Bengals 49ers? But- exactly. Yeah, well, <laughs> what else do we have? I mean, yeah, Bengals haven't been playing the best, though. I mean, it could also be potentially. It's still the bank, Joe Burrow versus San Francisco's defense. That, that's still much better than Bears Chargers. Honestly, Philly and Washington play. Not that they're going to have a Sunday night game twice in a row, but that would be Philly. I mean, Philly Washington's always a good game, always. But Rams yeah. Cowboys that could be a better game. Snoozer of the week, Zach. What is your snoozer of the week? Bills Patriots. This is not going to be close. Mac Jones is not good. The Patriots offense is just tough to watch. And Buffalo, after last week, I think they woke up and I think they're going to be ready to go. I think they're going to blow the Patriots out. I think Josh Allen, he's always played well up in Foxborough. They've won the last three meetings up there. I don't think this game's going to be close. My snoozer of the week, Zach, you already alluded to it earlier. Uh, Browns, Colts, most likely the battle of backup quarterbacks. Obviously, definitely, definitely backup for the Colts. Uh, with Minshew, and mm-hmm. then most likely uh, backup for uh, yeah for the Browns as well. Um, PJ, I mean they haven't they haven't played terrible, terrible. I mean PJ Walker, 192 yards. Minshew has been playing pretty well though. Uh, Minshew, I think all I think Minshew is, is one of the best backup quarterbacks of all time in the NFL. He's been playing pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean it's just going to be a game of backup defenses. Both teams are going to have to rely. I mean both backup. Uh, quarterbacks, excuse me, both teams are going to have to rely on their defenses pretty much for the rest of the year. I mean, Deshaun Watson will come back, but Brown's offense is definitely not their high point. It's, it's their defense, and 
the Coles with with Richardson being out and it's not having the whole lot of firepower around around their offense in general. This these neck these two teams for the most part are going to pretty much be relying on their defense going down the stretch. The Browns defense, as we as we say, has been amazing. The Browns sit in fifth in the NFL when it comes to team defense, only allowing fifteen point four points per contest uh, per contest. They are the top team in the league in yards per game total at 200 yards per game. Uh, the next closest is the Ravens at 260. So they are just, the Browns defense is clearly, clearly, without even a doubt, without even a, can't even argue, is the best defense in the league right now. They're going to give the Colts a really hard time, even at home, even in Indianapolis. And uh, it's going to be a snoozer of the week, but Browns, Browns will come out and, and win this game. Justin, what is your... Uh, snoozer of the week. Snoozer, I got Raiders Bears. Battle of the backup quarterbacks and just two teams that are not going to go anywhere. Yeah, the Raiders will probably win this game, but you never know. The Bears are just, even with the rookie quarterback, the Raiders could, you know, find ways to lose. And both of these teams are typically find ways to lose, especially this season. Yeah, definitely. Favors of the week, guys. Uh, survivor poll. Zach, we'll start with you. What's your favor of the week? Ooh. Um, so my favorite of the week. I'm going Seahawks over Cardinals. I, I don't think the Cardinals are particularly good. They're one and five. They had that one fluke win kind of against the Cowboys, and then Josh Dobbs turned into a pumpkin. They've gone back to reality. Meanwhile, Geno Smith and the Seahawks, I think this is a team that if they can get healthy, is one of the most underrated teams in the NFL, especially if that receiver room, Kenneth Walker's a great back. I think Seattle at home handles the Cardinals with ease. Mine is going to be Rams, Steelers, Matt Stafford, plethora of weapons, on the offense, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, been playing amazing. Tattoo Atwell, uh, Stafford, he has options. Uh, bottom line, Steelers have been struggling of late. I mean, there's pretty much a <laughs> battle between uh, Pickett and Canada going on right now. Canada, we all know, is terrible at calling plays. Pickett wants, you know, he's calling audibles. He's not following uh, Matt Canada. He's, you know, the offense is just in kind of a shambles right now. Even their defense has an elite defense, but they haven't even been playing up to their standard despite, you know, T.J. Watt and, you know, the other defensive you – know, the defensive line that they have and the backfield that they have. Even the defense for the Steelers hasn't been really playing up to snuff. Rams will survive this one thanks to some elite offense by, like I said, the weapons that they have. And Stafford, I think, having a pretty under-the-radar season. I, we talk about Lamar Jackson having kind of an under-the-radar season, but I think Stafford's been playing pretty well too, especially – considering how people thought the Rams would be this year and how people thought uh, he would be this year. Justin, what is your favorite of the week? Favorite of the week, I got the 49ers over the Vikings. I think the 49ers are going to bounce back this week. The Vikings, all their offensive line is just not good at not just a bad offensive line. They're not that good at all. And their 49ers defense, defensive front, I think it's going to get to Kirk Cousins. And I think the 49ers bounce back from last week's loss at Cleveland. That'll be the Monday night game, San Francisco at Minnesota. So I got the Niners as my lock of the week. I think we pretty much touched on all of them. Uh, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, I don't think we really touched on. That could actually be a pretty good game, I think. Tampa Bay should come out winning that game. But uh, I've mentioned it in the past. Atlanta has to get back to that run game that they've been doing so well with. But everything else, I think we've been we, – Den- Denver Green. Yeah, pa- Packers Broncos is the only other one, but there's not much there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I mean, that's a 
I mean, I, I, I don't even think Denver would have a must win at this point. They're out of the playoffs already, but it's probably a must win for Green Bay, though. Uh, I mean, just for anything else, just for, you know, Jordan Love and his progression and keeping the fans happy, we argue it's a must win for Green Bay. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens when they go down to, go down to Denver this weekend. I do want to bring up the quick uh, discussion on the AP college basketball rankings. I think tip-off, guys, is set to be early November, so like maybe yep. a couple weeks from now. College basketball is back. Going to read off the top 10 right now from the AP poll. Kansas, Duke, Purdue, Michigan State, Marquette, UConn, Houston, Creighton, Tennessee, and FAU. FAU at 10 and UConn yeah. at 6. That's that's surprising. What do you guys think about let's start with UConn being at six? What do you think about what do you think about that? Should be higher than six. Yeah, usually you get afforded more of a yeah. benefit of the doubt. I would probably have them number two, number three. I can understand why Kansas is number one because they went out and added Hunter Dickinson to an already good team, but I think UConn should be ahead of a team like Purdue that always seems to fall short in March Madness. So I'd probably have UConn number two, number three, somewhere around there. I think Kansas at one's fine. I think Michigan State, Duke, where they're at. I think that's fine. FAU brought back virtually everybody, so I'm not that surprised that they're in the top 10, but it is jarring to see FAU still in the top 10. Are you surprised that Purdue is three, though? I mean, they had a real, I mean, obviously the second team in history that lost to a one uh, to a 16 seed last year in the in the uh, March Madness. And running it back, same team they had last year. Obviously, they had a really, really good regular season. Running it back with Sack. Edie, but you don't think uh, how they how they went out last year in March Madness? They don't. That has nothing to do. That's no weight on the on the rankings uh, for this year. It should, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Zach Edie's been in college for ten years, it seems like. But the Purdue's problem has always been the same. They don't have electric guard play outside of the Carson Edwards run in 2019, and I don't think their guards have significantly improved at all. So. I think they should not be the highest ranked team in the Big Ten. That should be Michigan State. And Purdue is a borderline top 10 team for me, not number three for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you mentioned Florida Atlantic at number 10. They're going to be tested pretty early against Illinois and Arizona. That's going to be a chance for them to really show themselves, potentially even go up in the rankings as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. Kansas, uh, Hunter Dickinson, he's going to make a you know massive improvement for the team. Michigan State, Izzo, still at the helm. They're number four. I, I definitely agree with that. Mom, Creighton and Tennessee are kind of kind of weird at eight and nine, but you know Gonzaga's at eleven too. I mean Gonzaga, we we go down the list. Gonzaga at eleven, uh, Arizona at twelve. That's kind of surprising too, just considering about how they've been the last couple of years. What do you guys? I mean, what do you guys think about Gonzaga and Arizona at eleven and twelve? Yeah, no, I, I think it's about right. I think Gonzaga they lost Drew Timmy after he went to college for ten years, so they 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 they've got plenty of talent still, but. I can see a bit of a drop-off there. And as far as Arizona's concerned, Kirk Beliza transferred to West Virginia. Uh, I think three of their top five starters last year aren't there anymore. So I don't have a problem with their positions. Yeah, and obviously their competition they play, uh, Gonzaga, that is, is always uh, nobody's, which doesn't help their rankings at all. Writer's block. Let's move on to writer's block, guys, unless there's anything else you want to bring up. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your writer's block of So my writer's block of the week is going to be Reese Davis picking Penn State to knock off Ohio State. And I have less of a problem with his pick as far, but 
the problem that I have is you're the host of the show. You're not supposed to go in and make those predictions. And you're going to Columbus tomorrow. So I'm sure you're going to hear about it from the Ohio State fans that you pick Penn State to win the game. Like That's what you leave up to Kirk Herbstreet and Lee Corso to make predictions. Reese Davis, your job is to host the show and be the point guard. You're not the scorer on your, your uh, show. So n- the hosts don't need to be making predictions. My writer's block, um, I was like two days ago, I think it was, I saw this. I saw an article about how Aaron Rodgers was playing catch on the sidelines. And that was literally an article. They had they wrote like a whole page, you know, 10 plus paragraphs on just how he was playing catch on the sidelines with somebody. I know the biggest point of it is that he can, you know, be on his feet without crutches and, you know, weight, weight bear a little bit without crutches. But I just thought it was funny. I mean, he's not, that doesn't really mean anything. He's not a wide receiver. He's not, not moving at all. He's not going to be, you know, he's not agile or active at all. So I just, you know, it's just one of the things you got to give the fans to kind of keep their hopes up. Jets fans keep their, uh, you know, hopes alive that he can maybe come back this year, which actually would be amazing. That That's not a writer's block. Him coming back this year would be absolutely amazing coming back from that kind of injury, uh, uh, Achilles injury. So we'll see what happens. I mean, if he can come back for the, even the playoffs, that would be just amazing. I mean, Jets, I think, are on uh, on the path to making the playoffs, especially if they can continue the success they've had the last couple couple weeks. Wilson keeps playing. You know, like he's been playing the last couple of weeks, playing really, really well over exceeding expectations. So I just thought that was funny, though. Um, kind of like a, you know, who really cares? Doesn't really mean anything. Uh, it's just the catch that even I can do. And I'm nowhere near as good as Aaron Rodgers is. Justin, what is your writer's block of the week? Writer's block of the week is the power rankings in any sport. And the NHL power rankings that early? Come on. Same thing even with these rankings in college basketball and college football, and especially the NFL. What is with these rankings here? Even after, you know, some of the best teams lose, even after the Eagles and the 49ers both lost, Kansas City not playing the best. I mean, the, the power rankings are just silly and should be done closer to the end of the seasons. Okay, guys, let's move on to our interview with Bob Kemp, Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, game four just happened last night. Phoenix Suns as well, getting to the Suns. Suns are tipping off, and I think on, I don't even know, like Tuesday next week, I think, some, like early next week, NBA is back. Cardinals as well, getting to some Cardinals and maybe, maybe even Coyotes um, as NHL has started a week ago. But without uh, any further ado, let's head to, um, let's head to Arizona. Scottsdale, and let's talk to Bob in Phoenix. Okay, we now head to Arizona and bring on Bob Kemp from KDUS AM 1060. Bob, how you doing? Love to have you on. Can't wait to get into some Arizona sports with you. Excellent. Thank you much. My pleasure to be here. Bob, we have to start with the Diamondbacks. Easily exceeding expectations, uh, the fan base would say. I'm sure you would say as well. Uh, just making the playoffs was a huge, huge, uh, you know, success for the team. And now they even find themselves in the NLCS. Just getting to this point, though, I do want to kind of break down with you just getting to this point. What has been so successful with this team? I mean, how have they been able to get so hot when really no one expected them to really be able to get to this point? They've been a hot and cold team all year. It was pretty much. Yeah, first half of the season, they actually played really good baseball. And I mean really good baseball. And I'm a baseball guy. Uh, you know, they ran the bases. They played really good defense. Uh, they got enough pitching that they could get by because they did the other things really well. Ran the bases. If I didn't mention that, I think I already mentioned that. But they did just steal bases, but they went from first to third, second to home, and did a really good job 
good decision making as far as uh, you know being uh, uh, avoiding being reckless on the bases. Now that was like the first half of the season, roughly. Second half of the season, the base running wasn't nearly as successful. There was actually like a two week stretch where they were reckless on the bases. Uh, but that was pretty much the only two-week stretch they've had with that. Their defense has been really good all year long, historically good, not just here, but you know, one of the best defensive teams historically in baseball history. Uh, if you include old-time stats with just like basic fielding percentage in the metrics, which I sometimes think the defensive stats and the metrics don't always match up with the eye test, but they've matched up in both areas. I think that's been their biggest strength the entire season. Starting pitching, you know, really obviously Zach Gallen uh, had a tremendous season for the most part. He had a couple of starts where he kind of you know went a little haywire, but not very many for a guy that's making thirty some starts. Also, uh, Merrill Kelly has fought some injury issues, but you know, he's been win healthy uh, for the most part, really good. Uh, finding the third, fourth, fifth starters has been kind of an adventure. But that obviously changed yesterday, at least excuse me, changed on Thursday when Brandon fought through literally by far, and I mean by far, the best game of his major league career. He's a rookie. He's been up and down to AAA this year two or three different times. And yesterday, he did, excuse me, once again, Thursday, he just seemed to kind of find things. And uh, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it's, you, for, I, I've thought for most, a lot of the year, maybe they should just make him a relief pitcher at some point. But uh, he, he's you know, been very good in the playoffs, obviously, the dominant performance on Thursday. So that take care of, took care of that. The bullpen, which was pretty much mediocre at best uh, until September the 1st, has been really good not just with Paul Seawald, who they got the trade deadline from Seattle, who's been basically uh, a shutdown closer in the ninth inning. He's done a good job there. Ginkle has done an excellent job in the eighth inning. We also saw both of those things on Thursday when they finally beat the Phillies. Uh, but the rest of the bullpen was kind of a, you know, just a, you know, throw stuff against the wall and see what it works. And a lot of times it didn't. But that group collectively, once they've kind of figured out you know, who's pitching when and what the roles are. They've been very good. Offensively, uh, they were you know, much better numerically and really just you know, eye test, et cetera, in the first half of the season. They've had some horrendous stretches with hitting with Rush's scoring position, including in this very series against the Phillies, even the game that they won on Thursday. That was still an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had problems getting runners in scoring position. The first two games of that series only had five at-bats the first two games at all and with runners in scoring position. Uh, but that's been an issue. Clutch hitting, if you want to call it clutch hitting, people get upset sometimes if you use the word clutch, but whatever. You still have to get hits with runners in scoring position. And, yeah, I've been watching baseball for a long time, and that's a really, really big deal in the postseason because the pitching is usually better. So there's the longest winded answer of all time, but that kind of sums up their season. I mean, are you pleasantly surprised? I mean, you're surprised, and I'm sure obviously pleasantly surprised as well. But just how far they've went. A lot of team. I mean, a lot of people were saying going into the postseason that they were such a young bullpen, a shallow bullpen, you know. And obviously, you know, you need a good bullpen to make it far in the playoffs. So are people just like blown away by just you know they beat the Brewers, obviously in the wild card. That's not really a bullpen issue at that point, but. 
you know, Brewers were projected by many people to even win the World Series going into the playoffs. Dodgers, and they did actually be in a, uh, th- uh, you know, best of five. And Dodgers are always, always going to be in contention to go to the World Series. So, I mean, are people just how just what is like the fans saying about this? Like, how surprised are they? I mean, this is already blowing expectations, but like, are I mean, just take me through like what what the fans are saying right now about the Diamondbacks just and how far they've been able to go so far. Well, I think everybody's surprised at this point. Also, there's numerous times, and I mean, you know, maybe you know, numerous might be a strong word, but there's been more than an occasional time during the second half of the season where you thought this team was finished. Uh, they, they've had some horrendous stretches. They lost nine in a row at one point uh, and, uh, you know, fell way behind as far as even the wild card chase for a little while. Then they suddenly picked it up. They've been really, really good at home, especially in the last 20 games or so, uh, including obviously in the postseason so far and the few home games they've actually played. Uh, but they've been really good at home. So that's been consistent there. As far as the playoffs so far, I think you can kind of, at least for me, I, I was more surprised they actually beat Milwaukee than I was that they beat the Dodgers. And you're Milwaukee with a really solid pitching staff, even without, uh, you know, without Woodward, who got, you know, ruled out of the series, you know, like the day before the series started. And that was a big blow for them. But uh, the fact that they were able to, you know, beat Burns in that first game get to their bullpen later in the series and you know if, if two games in the series I guess that could qualify um, but that was a surprise to me I wasn't that surprised they beat the Dodgers because I think the Dodgers are just decimated by injuries I was surprised the Dodgers didn't hit better uh, they were decimated by injuries there but their pitching staff is you know, kind of a, been a mess for weeks and actually, I thought that whoever played the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs, not thinking it was going to be the Diamondbacks at the time, but I said for uh, several weeks that the Dodgers are in big trouble once they actually start playing in the playoffs because we knew they were going to get a buy in that first week because of their regular season record. And people around here, there's a jealousy factor, and people get mad here when I say this, and I've been saying this on the air for many years, uh, they, the beat LA thing, they, they chant beat LA and like, a you know, an April game when the Diamondbacks and Dodgers are playing or in a November game when the Suns are playing the Lakers, they, they just want to beat Los Angeles and beat LA. And the, the fact that they were able to sweep them and knock them out of the playoffs, this was like a mm-hmm. almost reason for a parade at that point. I'm assuming the fans, what they're saying is they could lose this series and it would still, they would still be, it's still a successful season for the Diamondbacks. Is that pretty, is that pretty much a, a settlement uh, across the fan base? Pretty much. A hundred. Yeah. A hundred percent accurate. I mean, anything at this point is, you know, gravy for sure on the season or cherry on the top or whatever. Uh, that's for sure. And now maybe uh, yeah, after the victory, <laughs> maybe the, the realistic expectations are going you know, to change a little bit or the unrealistic expectations, depending on your viewpoint there. But uh, yeah, it, this has been, you know, they have such a young team. Their core position players are for the most part, all very young and they have some young minor league prospects, position players, especially not so sure that they have that many pitching prospects on the way, uh, but they've done a really good job. Of developing young position players in the organizations, the minor leagues, 
and they've gotten better here at the major league level. So, yeah, I think that uh, things were on the upswing this year, even if they didn't make the playoffs, but the fact that they've made it and they've gotten to the National League Championship Series, uh, you know, it's you know, kind of sky high or maybe very unrealistic expectations moving look, looking ahead to 2024. Are fans concerned that this might just be uh, a, a, a team that could potentially flame out after this year, a team that may have just got hot, you know, in the playoffs right now, or or, this, or like you said, they do have a really young lineup because young can be good and bad, right? Young can be exciting. They could be coming up over the next couple of years or young can kind of be, you know, fluky as well sometimes. So what are the fans saying? Are they, are they like, this is not a, like this might, this was a hot run, but it's going to be something that we're going to build on, you know, over the next coming years or are fans kind of expressing that they're, you know, the fear that, Hey, maybe we, maybe this was like a one and done kind of uh, fairy tale uh, run that we made in the playoffs. I don't think that they think that uh, the fans believe it's a one and done thing because of the young core position players who I uh, think have an opportunity to improve. Uh, obviously, Corbin Carroll is the top of the list here, but yeah, Catal Marte has been bouncing around here for a few years. They've extended his contract while he's been here twice, and he's been not just their best player in the postseason, he's actually been their most consistent player since the All Star break. Even Corbin Carroll had a stretch of two, three weeks, or maybe even a little longer than that, where I kind of wondered, he had a shoulder injury right before the All-Star break, and I wonder if he was hurt and playing through it and you know, whatever. But he, once we got to the you know, middle of August or so, maybe a little bit before that, he went back to the Corbin Carroll that we saw for the first you know, three-plus months of the season. So that's a good starting point, and the fact that Marte has been so good. Uh, it's, uh, it's really impressive. Uh, I, I don't think that the, the I think that there's a this is a building point. I'm curious though, they're going to need to go get some starting pitching. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not completely sold, even though this bullpen has been very good for several weeks now. That uh, you can always use a full few bullpen arms, especially if you're thinking about the postseason, uh, because it's uh, even more of a big deal there. And uh, that uh, you know, late innings in the postseason, and it's, it's it's rough if you don't have you know some guys that you are confident in to get outs on a regular basis. So we'll see. But I think they need to go get some starting pitching. And I, you know, are they going to pay for the starting pitching? I think there's no reason for them not to now. They've been reluctant to increase the payroll here in recent years. But after you know, they've had monstrous crowds, not just for the playoff series, uh, playoff games, I should say, but you know, towards the end of the regular season when they were making a run, so, you know, they've, they've, they've created more revenue because of their success this year, which I would hope that the uh, ownership would in, uh, reinvest that into, you know, upping the, uh, you know, the, the roster as far as quality players go. Philly's now tied with the Diamondbacks 2-2. Diamondbacks win Friday night. What is there a chance, do you think, in your opinion, that Diamondbacks have a chance and come back and uh, beat the Phillies? Yeah, for sure. There's a chance. Now, you know, the Diamondbacks, I think they've just been hoping for a variety of reasons that there would be a fifth game. Uh, but, you know, Zach Gallon would, you know, he's scheduled to pitch, uh, and, you know, he's their ace. However, he's going to be going to get Zach Wheeler, who's been great in the playoffs for two years for Philadelphia, and the Diamondbacks had no chance against him in game one. Uh, Gallon did not have a good game against the Phillies, which was, I'm sure, disappointing for him in many ways, partly because he, you know, spent a lot of his childhood in the Philadelphia area and uh, 
I don't think he was necessarily, I think he was actually a Braves fan growing up in Philadelphia or that area. But, uh, yeah, it's disappointing. But, yeah, they got the race going, and then Merrill Kelly would go in game six. So those are the two guys that went out there. Uh, and then I guess thought would even get an opportunity to pitch game seven. But there'd be, you know, they've been very careful with him, as they should be, because he's a young pitcher. I think he's 22 or somewhere in that ballpark. And that would be on a uh, you know, short rest for him. So I'm not sure if they would go that route with, with as far as he's concerned. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, they, they're positioned pitching-wise better than they would have imagined. So, yeah, game five uh, tonight. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if the uh, Arizona is able to mount a comeback here. Only, uh, like I think we said it earlier, you know, last show, I think only like 15 point. Seven percent of teams that have gone 0-2 and a best of seven in the MLB have come back to win the series, and Phillies are definitely definitely a, a hot team right now. So we'll see what happens. I do want to touch on the Cardinals and Suns a little a little bit too. I know um, the Cardinals obviously in season right now. A lot of people would say arguably the worst team in the league. I know Raiders are kind of up there too. Denver's up there. Some other teams might be competing for that spot as well. But Kyler Kyler Murray was taken off the pup list. What does this mean for the team going forward? Do the fans think this is any, you know, what are the fans saying about this? I know obviously they're, they're, in, a, they're in a hole now, not going to make the playoff with the record, even though it's still only not even halfway through the season. They're pretty much already out of playoff contention. What are the fans saying? I mean, are they excited about Kyler coming back or is it kind of more of a, you know, what's it going to really do at this point uh, mentality? Okay, I think it's lukewarm on the Kyler Murray front. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, a couple of things you mentioned there, I can follow up on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of bad teams in the NFL right now. I think more bad teams than I can ever remember, and I'm old, so I can remember a long time ago. Uh, on a good day, at least I can remember a long time ago. I'm just kidding on that. Hopefully, on a, on a good day. <laughs> but um, you know, they. I think it's safe to say though they have the worst roster in the league. I also think that Jonathan Gannon and his first-year coaching staff here have gotten the most out of what they have. Uh, a lot of people thought they were tanking when the season started, or uh, you know, when, the, when the new ownership—not the new ownership, but when the new uh, general manager and the head coaching staff came in—they did the right thing. This this roster was awful at the end of last year. Some of their best players either retired, J.J. Watt. Some of them left via free agency. Zach Allen and uh, and Byron Murphy got bigger contracts and went elsewhere. And I think they, they I think the organization, the Cardinals organization, did exactly the right thing by starting over. And then there was, of course, the Kyler Murray injury at the end of last year. I'm maybe not the right guy to ask about Kyler Murray because I've never quite been sold on Kyler Murray as an NFL quarterback. But clearly, they're better when he's out there. I actually have thought this uh, next comment for, and I've said this for many months now, that the best thing that happened to the Cardinals this year, because once it became apparent that the Cardinals were you basically going to gut the roster and start over, which is once again, what they should have done probably even before last year, but they couldn't quite do that because they had still veteran players, et cetera, whatever. But uh, the best thing that can happen this year is if Kyler Murray plays well, they're under contract with him through 2027, which was a really horrendous decision. Uh, they actually extended Steve Kimes' contract, the general manager. 
the head coach Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray all within like two or three weeks a year ago. Murray got hurt. They were bad. They weren't any good before Murray got hurt last year. Anyway, uh, Kingsbury was fired. Steve Kime was fired. So they just basically, they had those guys coinciding together contractually. And, you know, one guy was having ACL surgery. The other two people they fired. Uh, So they started over. The, going back to my original point here, sorry, uh, didn't get to this quote quicker, but the best thing that happened to the Cardinals this year is if Murray comes back, plays okay, or better than okay, but just shows he can be an NFL starting quarterback somewhere, because this team's not going to be a good next year either. I mean, no matter whether he's good or not. Uh, if they could actually get somebody, convince somebody, maybe that's a you know, my my words and maybe not other teams, but if he can show he's good enough that somebody would trade for him, that would be by far to me the best thing that can happen to the Cardinals this season because I still kind of wonder whether they're going to win another game this year. They're not good. I understand there's some bad teams, but they actually don't play very many of those bad teams the rest of the year. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But Murray played well. They can trade him, get even more draft picks. They already have double-digit draft picks for next year anyway because they did an excellent job trading up and down the last draft, uh, including at least a couple of first-round picks. Now, the Houston first-round pick that looked really smart uh, may not be as as good as it looked before because the the Texans are playing much better than anybody anticipated, including me, and I actually thought the Texans would be better this year. But uh, just to accumulate draft picks and get the Murray contract off their books and just move forward, they're almost for sure going to draft a quarterback anyway. Uh, So that would be, I think, the best scenario for the Cardinals in 2023 and 2024 if you count the draft part. Yeah, that's that's funny. You alluded to my next two follow-up questions um, (laughs) already. So I'll I'll start with the first one. So I know – my first question involves just the team in general, and then my next question will involve Kyler Murray specifically, and they actually kind of overlap a little bit too. But my first question is, what is just the um, timeline in general? Like, what what do they think in the timeline is for the Cardinals to get back to a competing form? I mean, five plus years, or maybe, or is it maybe like low, like sooner than that? Maybe like more closer to three or something. Like, what what are they actually thinking? What are people saying? Is the is the timeline here? I don't know if the fans are really talking about much of a timeline. Again, I think that you know, considering you know, Bonnie Austin Fort got hired as the general manager last January and Gannon got hired last February, I mean, it's not going to be five years because if they still are bad in five years, those two guys are not going to be here anymore. <laughs> so they'll be moving on to whatever their next jobs are. Uh, but I would. Uh, um, they really don't have a whole lot of building block players on their team right now, quite frankly, because of the poor drafts that the previous general manager, Steve Kime had. There's only like a couple of guys. You know, in fact, we did a thing the other day on our show. Uh, my co-host, Kayla Mortolero, in the extra point, went through all the draft picks from 2020. There's one guy still on the roster, and he's not even really a, a difference-making player. Uh, and then they had they made they made some really bad draft picks. One that's obviously one of the reasons that Kime is no longer the general manager here. But you know they don't have a whole lot to build on. But the fact that they got you know I think it's twelve 
picks for next year's draft already, and I think they're going to have a chance to add more. And I think they could actually trade some guys before the trade deadline. I don't necessarily think that Zach Ertz has a whole lot of value, but if they wanted to trade Hollywood Brown, I definitely think he has some trade value. Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker, unfortunately, are I think they're two best players on defense. They've both been hurt. Buda Baker just came off the uh, the uh, injured reserve list this week, and yeah, you know, I don't think he's going to play this week, even though he wants to because they're playing in in Seattle and he's from Seattle. But those two guys you know, maybe would be tradable commodities at some point because I think that those those two guys are really good. They're NFL level good players at the starting safety spots. But whoever they could try to trade before the draft or however that could possibly work out before the deadline in two weeks this year, they should do that. And uh, they're building from scratch. But I think we've seen if you have a team that has a bunch of draft picks and uh, you know, they got to make the right selections, that's always been a, that's not always, but often been a problem here for right recent years. So that's a, that's a building point. And then you're going to have to go out and spend some money to get a couple of veteran players to go around the youngsters. And I think that's been a formula for at least some other teams to build quickly. And the best thing, I guess, about the NFL regarding the Cardinals situation right now is, you know, every year we seem to have a team, at least one team in a league that's bad one year or finishes last year and, like, wins the division the next year. Now, that might be tough for the Cardinals because San Francisco's in this division. And Seattle seems to be a young team building. They're a team. There's an, there's an example of what I'm just talking about. But the drafts that they've had the last two years, and they've added, they've spent some money to add some veteran players. They obviously made the Russell Wilson trade and cleaned up on that with draft picks. And actually a couple of the players they got back from Denver in that trade are playing for Seattle now and uh, maybe playing better than they actually thought they might. So that's the kind of thing that can happen to the Cardinals and I wouldn't be shocked because of all those possibilities that uh, they were at least a watchable team or you know a team that's fun to watch or you know they give they would give the public a reason to watch them in a couple of years. So that would be maybe the best case scenario. But I don't I don't think it's impossible that it would be you know you know much longer than that because you know, we've seen teams and Seattle is I think the best example off the top of my head of a team that looked like it was awful and then here we are less than a couple of years later and they're they're good and they made the playoffs last year unexpectedly speaking of the draft picks and then bringing it back to Kyler murray i mean first of all we don't even know if he is playing on sunday i mean he is activated off the pup list but still kind of a question mark if he'll play he might get some reps but don't know how much he will actually play if, if even at all but my question for you is when he does return to, to full form i mean he does Start, start start taking all the snaps and he's officially officially back how vital is it going to be in those you know two three four games when he is officially back for him and just his draft potential or his capital i should say with the team because you mentioned the draft picks you meant you mentioned you know the team rebuilding um just just i mean really at that point they're going to be out of playoff contention they're already out of playoff contention for the most part but you know, just speaking of just Kyler Murray in general as a commodity, I mean, him and his trade potential, I mean, when he gets back full and healthy and, you know, taking all the snaps again, it's going to be vital um, those, you know, first three, four games that he's back to really kind of prove his, prove his worth. I agree with that. Uh, I, first up, I would be absolutely shocked if he played this week. Um, 
I don't use the word shock. I try to avoid using the word shock because I think it's overused in sports and life in general, and I only use it when I mean it. So I would be shocked if he played this week. Uh, so we'll see, uh, you know, whether that happens or not. But uh, like I said, I'm I'm a skeptic on Kyler Murray. Um, he has a very strong arm. There's no doubt about that. He's very, you know, you know scramble dependent as far as uh, I think being an effective quarterback. I think that's going to be the first thing to pay attention to is how much is he a quote dual threat quarterback anymore coming off the ACL surgery. Uh, so that's uh, got to be the one thing to immediately monitor. The other thing that's not going to change in my opinion and why I'm skeptical long-term of him in the NFL, which was my biggest question about him when he came out of Oklahoma and in college, etc., is that, I just think he's too small uh, to be his. He's really had problems Mm -hmm. with the passes getting bagged down at the line of scrimmage. He's had a horrendous time completing passes in the middle of the field because, in my opinion, at least, he can't see over offensive linemen or defensive linemen or the the crowded middle of the field. Uh, But like I said, he his biggest strengths are his legs. And we're not sure what that's going to be like when he comes back and plays and his arm, which, you know, that should be still fine. Uh, but you know, there's just so many other, uh, in my opinion, questions about him and whether he can survive at the NFL as quarterback, but largely because of his small stature. All right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Bryce Young's also struggling this year. And that was a big concern with him when he was first drafted. I, I didn't. I didn't like him. I didn't like. I didn't like that pick either because of the exact same reasons. Yeah, that's. It. I. I couldn't believe that. Uh, that C.J. Stroud was picked behind Bryce Young because Stroud was accurate in college and, you know, you know much more of a. It's not like you know C.J. Stroud's a large, tall human being, but you know that didn't seem to bother him at all in college, and Bryce Young got hurt a few times in college too, and unfortunately. He's just getting beat up big time because the Carolina offensive line is not any good. And I don't think the receivers are very good. Uh, bad combination if you have a quarterback who I already question and you don't have any receivers and the offensive line is not good. Other than that, things are going great in Carolina. That's probably why they haven't won a game, right? <laughs> so there you go. I do want to move on to the Suns. I know you don't want to talk much Coyotes, but I do want to move on to the Suns. Uh, in general, my first question is going to be, how has Beal been received by the fan base so far, Bradley Beal, after coming over from Washington? Uh, they think he's great. Uh, you know, they, they haven't played a real game yet. You know, I don't know if anybody takes a whole lot of the preseason. You shouldn't. Uh, I mean, I personally don't take much out of the regular season, quite frankly, because I think we see on a you know, long you – know, for many years. I remember – I'm very old. So I remember back in 1969 when the, the Celtics were winning championships in the 60s and they were like fourth in the Eastern Conference that year. And I remember my dad telling him, telling me when I was 12 years old that don't, you know, he didn't like the Celtics because they won too much, et cetera. But they're going to make a run in the playoffs because they just, you know, there's you know, basically biding their time to get to the playoffs. And then they won the championship. That's the last year, the one with Bill Russell, and he retired after that year. Also, just a recent comparison there to a smaller extent. The Suns had the best record in the NBA in the regular season just three seasons ago, and they won 66 games, and they were bounced out of the playoffs in the second round by, by the Mavericks, who 
weren't nearly as good, but the Suns didn't play well. They weren't physical enough. And the Suns, you know, they went to the finals the year before that. And uh, that's just four seasons ago now, three seasons ago, three or four seasons ago. And there's only one player still on this roster. Monty Williams was the coach of the year. He got fired after last year, which was a completely injustice uh, thing to Monty Williams. He should have never been fired. They should have fired the front office, but they didn't do that. Uh, and uh, the fact that you know, Devin Booker is the only guy on that team who went to the finals and lost to Milwaukee. And he's the only guy still here. And uh, they moved on, and obviously they've made uh, the big money splashes with Durant, big trades, Bradley, Bradley Beal. They have pretty much no bench, in my opinion. They certainly didn't have a bench last year. That's one of the reasons they got bounced out early. Now, in retrospect, they actually won two games against the against the Nuggets, and that's better than anybody else did. <laughs> so, um, so maybe they, they weren't as, as bad as we thought. But their bench got destroyed in that playoff series against the Nuggets last year. They've tried to improve their bench, so I give them that much. They've got a bunch of guys that are going to be, I imagine this is going to be a, a you know, four- or five-month process, quite frankly, to figure out who are these best guys coming off the bench. They have a number of guys who were very successful in college uh, who have had some success in the NBA, and it's just kind of, they're just kind of rolling the dice to see, you know, who's going to play. Other than Eric Gordon, who is an established NBA player who is really good, uh, other than that, I have no idea how this is going to work out for them. They also made the big trade that uh, you had DeAndre Ayton, who nobody around here except for me thought was uh, even average. I thought he was above average. Every time the Suns have lost a game for like five years, it's Ayton's fault. Uh, they traded him for Nurkic uh, from Portland. And I've had a long-time relationship with some Portland radio people. Uh, and uh, they don't like Nurkic. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, as soon as that trade was made, I went on their show and uh, got to kind of, you know, I've seen Nurkic play and so forth. I think he's got some ball skills. Didn't think that he played hard all the time. He's obviously, unfortunately, been injured a lot. It's not his fault there. But uh, you know, that's who's in here now. Nurkic is here for Aiton. And I would imagine the long-term success of the Suns in the postseason, Nurkic is going to have plenty to do that with that. And I'm going to need to see a whole lot more than I've been told or what I've seen from him in the past. Were people uh, – and I ask this because I genuinely genuinely don't know the answer to this from a local perspective. I know how you know kind of the national media views him. Uh, Chris Paul, were fans – upset when he left were fans kind of you know good riddance like what were the what was the fans thoughts on when chris paul left that's an excellent question um i think it was you know, somewhere in between i mean you know they weren't successful for several years before chris paul came here and you know paul uh you know, knew monty williams they had a relationship back in the days in new orleans uh, so that's why, you know, one of the reasons Paul landed here, the Suns of their you know, 25 wins or something like that the year before that Paul was, they made the trade for him. And, you know, they're in the playoffs. And, you know, the year after that, they're in the finals. And he was the biggest reason they made the finals. I mean, he was a tremendous job of running an offense. Uh, you know, got the most out of Eaton, uh, whether people liked Eaton or not. Uh, when Aiden was playing his best here, it was clearly because you know, Chris Paul rode his ass a little bit and uh, 
you know, that worked out well, at least for a while. Uh, so when Paul left, he had, Paul got hurt a couple of different times, and that's unfortunately been the case of his career, whether it was here or the you know, Clippers or wherever. Uh, that's uh, been an issue. He's not getting any younger. I actually think he landed in a good spot in Golden State because they can monitor his minutes, and I do think that, that he'll have no problem uh, deferring to Steph and so forth. In fact, I'll, I think that he'd be uh, he'll do a nice job setting up Steph and Clay Thompson and whomever uh, to get uh, much better field goal attempts or uh, much even you know, much more open field goal attempts than those guys have gotten in the past, and that's never been a huge problem for them anyway. But they've got the good fit there. His time was over here. I wonder whether the Suns have anybody to run an offense here now, though, because it looks like Bradley Beal and Booker are going to be the, quote, point guards. And those guys are, to me, more finishers than they are guys that can actually run an offense. But you mentioned Aiton earlier. It sounds like the fan perspective on Aiton wasn't too high. I mean, you said you were you were the only, one of the only ones that actually thought high on him and thought that he was a above-average player. Given that, saying that, um, how do fans feel about the Damian Lillard trade? I mean, obviously, Suns were in in that three-team trade with the Trailblazers and the Bucks. Uh, Suns got Grayson Allen, Keenan Johnson, Nasir Little, Little, uh, Yusuf Nurchik. Do or I mean, like you just like I just said, like, they weren't super high on it, and I, I wasn't either, to be completely honest. I think a lot of the national media would say the same thing that he was a an average player, if not even slightly worse for center. So are fans thrilled by this trade? You know, getting Grayson Allen and you know Nur- Nurchik in, in particular, and even even Nasir Little and Keenan Johnson, they're great players as well. So. What were the fans thinking about this recent trade we have uh, a couple months ago? Yeah, well, I think they were just happy that he was gone. I mean, like I said, I was like the only fan of him in Maricopa County. I was thinking that part of this, well, two things that worked against Aiden from the start. One, he went to the University of Arizona. Uh, you know, that's 100 miles south. And, uh, you know, he was only there for one year. But, uh, you know, if they're, they're, quite frankly, is not that much of a crossover between Suns fans and Arizona State fans. Even though the arenas, like the arenas, are like you know, 20 minutes apart, uh, but the fact that he was a U of A guy was not a good start. And then he was the number one pick of the draft, and it turns out you know Luka Doncic was number two, and I think that you know, Doncic actually Doncic might not even been number two, but however that worked out, the Doncic is clearly the best player from that draft, and the fact that they didn't get the best player in the draft, even though. Doncic, uh, Aiton made sense when they drafted him here. I don't think there's any debate about that uh, because your Booker was already here. You know, Doncic and Aiton, excuse Doncic and Booker are kind of ball dominant, not kind of ball dominant, even though Doncic is more ball dominant, dominant than anybody probably in the NBA at this point. But it just didn't, it wasn't going to work in many people's minds. They didn't like it to start with. And no matter what he did, you know, they expected to, have like uh, you know, you know, like Anthony Davis or something on their team. He's not that good, but he was much better than what I think the local fans mainly thought. As far as the trade, you know, you mentioned Little, especially he's one of those guys, a really good college player. Has had some good moments in the NBA, and you know, if they can, you know, like the Suns, the major goal for them in the regular season, and I think they're going to win like 50 games in the regular season or more just because they're going to outscore teams, assuming everybody's healthy, and that's a big question in itself, that everybody's healthy, they're going to win plenty of regular season games. 
because they're going to be explosive offensively. But in the playoffs, they've got to figure out, it'll be, at least in the regular season, before they get to the playoffs, they've got to figure out who, who comes off the bench and actually can defend somebody in the playoffs and do the dirty work because they've got plenty of guys that can score. Uh, who rebounds? Who guards people on the perimeter, which has been a massive weakness of this team for many years? And I'm talking many years, like since the, you know, the 2005, 2006, 2007 teams. Uh, they've been terrible at keeping players out of the paint on dribble penetration. And uh, I'm not sure I see anybody in this roster right now that's going to change that. Uh, so maybe they can find somebody that can figure that part out. Because you're not going to win the postseason if you can't stop somebody. I think a big part of coaching that's often overlooked and not really appreciated enough is managing superstars, especially you know when you have a dominant three like the Suns do this year in KD, Booker, and Beal. Do our fans concerned that Frank Vogel might have a difficulty managing these three superstars and you know having three elite scores like this? Are they concerned that he might have a hard time? you know, finding their value to the utmost, uh, utmost they can be. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're concerned, but I think it's certainly something to wonder about. And I think that was a problem with Monty Williams last year. And, you know, there was also, you know, some issues between, you know, Aiton and, and Williams. Uh, but to me, Williams did the best he could possibly do with the belt that he was, the hand he was dealt. You know, Vogel, to me, I'm unsure what I think of Vogel because, uh, you know, when he was in Indiana, I thought that he coached one of the worst playoff games I've ever seen when they lost in game seven to the Heat. And I won't get into all the particulars in that game, but people can go back, well, just go back and watch the fourth quarter of that game if you want and tell me he did a good job. And then uh, if you think so, you probably need to watch a different sport. Uh, but then there was that. And I know he gets some credit because they won a championship when he was with the Lakers, but that was in the bubble. That was also in a year where obviously the pandemic committed in play for several weeks. And he had healthy AD and LeBron James at the end of the year. So like a lot of teams would have won a championship then. He's mainly a defensive guy. It's kind of his background. And they have a roster of guys that don't have a history of playing good defense for the most part. Uh, however, you know, the, uh, they, they, you know, they kept Kevin Young on the staff here. Uh, so, you know, maybe that'll be, uh, you know, I mean, he's an offensive guru, quote, unquote, is an offensive mind, et cetera. And they're paying Young. He's the highest paid assistant coach in the NBA. And they're paying him to basically run the offense. And they're depending on Vogel to figure out who, uh, how to get these guys to guard somebody. Yeah. I mean, what are the expectations for the team this year from the fans? I mean, I know you already kind of touched touched on a little bit um obviously uh state it now if the team stays healthy they're locked to at least make the playoffs but i mean what i mean what are the i mean is it like championship is that expectations oh, yeah. for the fans i mean you gotta get through the a lot of other teams in the west obviously like you know notably the nuggets but what what you know is that that's expectation is is championship this year oh yeah it is i mean i think the play they're probably playing the parade route, the, the date for the parade already. I'm probably, I'm guessing, uh, maybe being, I'm, exa I'm obviously exaggerating some there, but the expectations are enormous. Uh, also, you just kind of, I kind of wonder, you know, I mentioned some of my, my, my expectations are much lower 
But I could be altered some, but I need to see during the regular season, and I don't really expect a whole – I don't pay much attention. I watch the Suns, but, you know, the NBA regular season to me is just a waste of like five or six months or however long it lasts. Get back to me, and when the playoffs start, I'm, a, I'm completely in – you know, I watch every bit of the playoffs. But the regular season, you don't know who's playing from game to game. I know the NBA is trying to do the load management thing. They're going to find teams if they don't play guys. and I don't know how they could possibly do that and get away with it. Uh, but whatever, give it a try. I know their television contract's up. They're trying anything they possibly can to get more eyeballs before their television contract expires at the end of the year. They got this in-season tournament thing, which I think is a joke. Uh, but they're doing whatever they can. But, uh, you know, the to me, if the Sun can just figure out they're better than – who are these guys that were good college players? Can they actually be, you know, players of the NBA that make a difference in the postseason? And also, I think it's a legitimate question to ask. You know, Durant's been hurt for his last five years at some point. You know, Devin Booker's had some injury issues and seems to have worn down a couple of years. In the postseason, yeah, Beals had his injury issues too, and those guys absolutely, positively have to be healthy. No matter what happens with this rest of this roster, they have to be healthy with the when the playoffs start. Well, Bob, this has been amazing. Can't stress how much I thank you for your time. Anything else you want to really add in uh, before we head out here? Anything uh, that you might not have mentioned? Uh, you know, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, uh, Suns. Anything you want to really mention before you? Uh, Head out? No, I think we're good. I appreciate it. This has been fun. And thanks for getting a hold of me. And uh, if you want to do it again sometime, let me know. No, we'll definitely do it again sometime. We'll be, we'll definitely be in touch. Maybe check in, uh, you know, with the Suns uh, halfway through the season or something like that. But either way, we'll definitely check in and uh, have to talk again soon. Okay. Maybe we'll have a Diamondbacks parade. Uh, same parade route. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe. Maybe if the, if the city can handle it. But <laughs> we'll do it again sometime soon, okay? <laughs> yeah, that's true. They may, they, may, they may not handle it. That's a good point. <laughs> All right, Bob. I'll see you later. That interview was brought to you by Philly Drinkers. The Continental Sports Podcast has partnered with Philly Drinkers, the go-to place for the greatest sports clothing that you can get your hands on. They specialize in partying hard and looking great while doing it. Owned and operated by diehard sports fans, they don't just love sports, they love what sports stand for. Most importantly, they understand that you always want to rep your favorite team anywhere you go, whether it be a sporting event or grabbing a couple of drinks with the guys. Their apparel and products always have unique designs and slogans, all while bringing out great vibes. Head to phillydrinkers.com today and get your one-of-a-kind merchandise. Philly Drinkers, always party. Okay, let's finish up with Off the Map and Long Hauls of the Week. Justin, what is your Off the Map of the Week? My Off the Map of the Week is Diamondback second baseman Cattell Marte. He has a 12-game hitting streak going all the way back to the regular season, I believe, and the postseason. And so far, his stats in this playoffs, he has a 371 batting average with two home runs and five RBIs at bats as well, 35. He's played very well for the Diamondbacks. A very underrated second baseman as well. He had the game-winning walk-off hit off Craig Kimbrell in Game 3 against the Phillies that brought the Diamondbacks back into the series. My off-the-map, flag football being added to the Olympics in 2028. 
NFL encouraging players to participate. I know like Tyreek Hill, Michael Parsons, uh, Gronk, they've already kind of been making plans to assemble a super team to win the gold. Uh, this is awesome. I can't wait to see flag football. America should absolutely just dominate this. They, they should win every game by at least 20 plus if, if they actually play as hard as they can, just especially with America, uh, football being America's game and the best talent in, in the world, you know, being uh, mostly Americans, that is even so. This is awesome, though. I can't wait to watch this in 2028. It's going to be a little bit, little bit of time. Still going to be, you know, a couple of Olympics for now, but it's going to be awesome. And I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch, especially uh, the team that Team USA can put together. Zach, what is your off the map of the week? My off the map of the week is going to be the retirement of Andre Iguodala, one of the great careers in NBA history from a guy that, you know, is not a superstar, but he's going to be remembered more fondly than a lot of people that are superstars. He's a Hall of Famer in my book, one of the greatest defensive players of all time, averaged almost 20 points a game for the Sixers in 2012, 2013. And obviously what he did with them, what he did with the Warriors is probably the most notable accomplishment, won the finals MVP in 2015 is one of the few people that could actually somewhat guard LeBron James on a regular basis. And, you know, the impact that he's made as a veteran with the Miami Heat, with the Warriors, can't be understated. One of the best careers in NBA history. He's a Hall of Famer. Andre Iguodala, congrats on your retirement. Long haul of the week. Justin, what is your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is actually the flag football in the Olympics here, which could be a massive hit for NBC, which I don't think it is. I think that's just, you know, overstating it that uh, that NBC does take a massive hit. I think globally it's going to it's going to be a big reviews as well, big ratings. And the, and even the same for Americans. I think it's going to be a very it's going to be very high rated and I don't I don't think it should be a massive hit for NBC, especially covering the Olympics and having Sunday night football in the NFL. My long haul, uh, really tired of hearing about the James Harden uh, saga going on. He's done this before. It's nothing new. What I am kind of upset about, what I am kind of annoyed about is when the Sixers, you know, uh, Maxi and B, they come out and say that it's, it's not affecting them at all. It definitely is affecting them. They just won't say it. Obviously they can't say that, but um, yeah, I just, I'm just tired of hearing about Harden. I don't know what he's going to do. It doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, I think he might even be more, of a detriment to the team if he is on the court and if, if he's not even. So at this point, I really just don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, he's been reported to be in Houston despite these preseason games going on. Uh, definitely not happy with uh, the city of Philadelphia. He been, he's been, you know, over the offseason, he's been reportedly very adamant in saying that he wants to go back to he, uh, Houston. We don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, Maury came out and said he's not going to trade him. He's going to stay. He's going to stay in Philadelphia. He has no, you know, he can't, you know, he can't move. He's not going to leave. Leave. But yeah, I'm just kind of. It's just getting it. it just, I feel like this happens every single year, whether it be uh, <laughs> James Harden or um, Irving. I just feel like what, between the two of them, I think every single offseason going into the season, there's some kind of drama going on. If it's if it's one of those two, so. Just kind of sick of hearing about it, and I just want the season to start and see what the Sixers can do with or without him. So, Zach, what is your long haul of the week? Finish us up. Yeah, so I have two, and they're kind of tied in together. Let's start with Sunday Night Football. Over the next four weeks, they got a great one this week with the Dolphins and the Eagles. But next week, Bears-Chargers. Bills-Bengals, that's a good game. Jets-Raiders, not so much anymore. Uh, Vikings-Broncos, that's going to get flexed. Like, you, you got to start flexing some of these games. The Sunday Night Football lineup the rest of the year is not looking as good as it could be. You know, Chiefs, Packers, that probably will stay because Patrick Mahomes every, is going to 
draw in primetime. Uh, Ravens-Jags, probably going to be a pretty good game. Let's see what happens with Bengals-Steelers. The Bengals, I think, can live up to it. I don't know if the Steelers can. But over the next month, especially, Sunday night football games are going to have to start getting flexed because we deserve better matchups. And then let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and the importance of this game because look at their next seven games after this. Commanders on the road. Cowboys at home. At Kansas City. Home Buffalo. Home San Francisco. At Dallas. At Seattle. That is brutal before they play their last three against the Giants twice and the Cardinals. So they'll be able to handle both of those games. But you can't understate the importance of winning this one to get to 6-1 and because you might need some breathing room with that schedule coming up because you're playing maybe the best teams in the league. You're playing the Chiefs. You're playing the 49ers. You're playing the Cowboys and the Bills. The Eagles are avoiding nobody this year. Tells us a lot about Sirianni, this game, and the rest of the season. So I'm looking at because I was actually curious about this as well because I was I was thinking I was thinking the same thing Zach. So I looked up some I'm looking at it now too, just some of the scheduling you know things to keep in mind with as far as flexing games go. Only two I didn't actually know this. Only two games can be flexed into Sunday night between week five and ten. So it, it there is a there is a maximum on how many games can be flexed. Only Sunday afternoon games can be flexed into Sunday night. So any of the one o'clock games I don't think can be flexed if that's how I'm reading it. Yeah, and they have to give a 12-day notice as well. So uh, any game that will be flexed in the Sunday night must be uh, – it, it won't be any later than 12 days that the notice is given out that it was flexed. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I agree, though, that definitely the some, flexing some games. It sounds like only two games uh, at the most will be able to be flexed up into week week 10, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm excited for this Sunday tomorrow coming up with uh, the Eagles, Dolphins. Talked about it earlier earlier in the show gonna be an awesome game okay guys awesome awesome show gonna tuesday gonna have on um mike berman again from chicago bedard's first game at home as a blackhawk gonna talk to him talk all things with dard uh bears playing a little bit better over the last couple weeks gonna talk to him about that as well um you know and then bulls might get in some bulls talk with him and just seeing how they're how their season's looking up uh, with tip-off. Awesome interview with him, always is, and we'll break it all down with him. Break it all down on Tuesday when we talk to him. So until then, keep on traveling.